Welcome to the Gym Lords Podcast, where we talk to real gym owners and share their stories, their trials, and what's working for them right now. To apply to be a guest on this podcast, click the link in the description. Hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Gym Lords Podcast. I am your host. My name is Joe Fitzgerald. Joining us on the show today, we have Mr. Titus Murray of Anytime Fitness with two locations in Pennsylvania. Titus, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? Thank you for having me. I am. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to to pick your brain and, and see kind of the inner workings here. Anytime Fitness uh, is is pretty a, a well known brand, at least in the fitness space at this point. So I don't think we need to do a ton of work to explain what Anytime Fitness is. But before we dive into the the business focus conversation and, and what you do day to day, I want you to Talk to us a little bit about how you got started with Anytime Fitness and why the franchise route. So when I was 18, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh my whole life. Um, nine, 10 years old, I moved here. Uh, 18, I moved to Chicago. Um, I got a medical sales job right out of high school. Worked with patients. Um, I was kind of like a Medicare liaison representing patients to doctor's offices, um, medical devices, nursing agencies, all that kind of stuff. A lot of my patients had physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, personal trainers that would come to the house um, on top of, you know, the nurses and the doctors and all that kind of stuff. So at that point, I wasn't big into the gym. Um, I was 19. I played basketball my whole life, but I really wasn't like a, a, a lifter. I never trained. I never did strength training. We just conditioned for hoops. Um, so I kind of got curious about it, got into it myself. Basketball was a little bit of a different level, you know, when you're playing with kids who do play in college, um, it, physically, I just, you know, I was 154 pounds and I, I just, I would just get manhandled. So I kind of got into the gym myself personally, um, started working out a little bit, uh, came back to Pittsburgh in 2011. I moved back here at the end of 2011. Um, and I was kind of looking for a job. I didn't really know what to do. My Medicare position, I kind of got shut down. Um, so I just decided to come back home, looked into certifications, online programs, you know, getting my training cert. I, stepped, I was still going to the gym on my own at that point. Um, got a training certification, got hired at any time. That was my first training position um, and kind of started working with patients or clients at that point. I knew that I knew the training side was going to be easy for me. I'd already done sales when it came to talking with customers and patients. I was, I was familiar with how to speak. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. So the training side of the sales came a little bit easier to me. I just didn't have the knowledge of how do you do a program? How do you design programs for different types of clientels? Um, I was only 21 at that point. So I was, I was still pretty young. So I didn't really, that was my first step into the industry. So that's kind of what got me into it. I started training. I was learning at the place I was at. Um, I always wanted to kind of be my own boss, my own owner. Like I wrote my own hours when I did medical sales. So I was used to having my own schedule. Um, the clock in clock out was never really my thing. I wasn't against it, but you know, it's nice if I wanted to move a client around on a Thursday or Friday, I would do it. So I always liked the ownership side. Once I realized I was decent with the training side and the sales side, I was like, I, you know, I could do this. So, um, I was 20 two at that point. I just turned 22 in April of that year. Um, I met a guy who was like, Hey man, if you're looking to open your own gym or do your own thing, you know, I got an investor who'd love to help you out. Um, which is rare for, you know, somebody in their twenties for an investor to come. To <laughs> yeah. This is a brave move for somebody yeah, with some so, financing. 
you know, I have no proven background or history other than the fact that the guy believed in my personality and who I was and how I presented myself. Um, So no bank was going to fund me at, you know, 22 years old. Not at 22. No, no, no college degree, nothing like that, you know? So, so that's kind of how I got started. I got training. This guy was like, Hey, I can, you know, meet you with this investor. So I did, I met in um, October of 2012. I bought into the anytime franchise uh, six months later, April of 2013, I opened my first store and then I turned 23 about two weeks later. Yeah. So, so things, things moved quick once we pulled the trigger on that six months yeah. from, from paperwork to doors opening is a tight timeline for anybody that's done this before. Right. But 11 years later, here you are, something must have gone right along the way. That guy was right to believe in you, right? Yeah. I mean, you never, you never want to be overly confident or act like, you know, I told you it was going to happen, but I always knew that I could, I could do it. It was just a matter of finding people that would around me at that age, you know, support you doing it and walk with you and be there and help you out. And, um, I've always been good to have, you know, a blessed to have a good staff, like good trainers, good managers. Um, you know, we have a training system that I've used now for all 10, 11 years that a good buddy of mine kind of taught me to a degree, I took it and ran with it and leveled it up a couple of times and, um, you know, selling programs now that when I was 22, I would have never in a million years dreamed of selling, you know, like a a $2,000 program back then was, was an incredible sale, right? Like, oh, wow, what a day I had somebody pay $2,000 today for a year program. Now I sell 250 sessions at a clip for about 12 grand. So I never in a million years would have thought that that would have been something that I would have done over the years. Yeah. Now you mentioned that was the first location in 2012. Catch us up to, to where we are now in history. How did, how did the rest of those go? Yeah. So that was a five-year lease. Um, so that lease expired the end of 2017 or 2018, July of 18, going into August of 18. Um, I had met at that point, another member at the gym who's their company owned property, so I found a warehouse. Um, this was 2014, 15. We started talking about this. I, I knew we were, I knew we were going to kind of outgrow the space. I mean, we had about 800 members in our first two years, which was pretty impressive. Um, we were only 4,400 square feet, you know. So like, it, it was tight. It was okay. Tight. Yeah, this was small by stand by any time standards, at least. So we started to lose people because it, it was, you know, there wasn't enough room for everything and everybody. So. Um, I started thinking about expanding and then in my mind, you know, I'm like, man, I just got this, I just got all these debts and things paid down. Like, now I got to go in and find another loan or an investor or try to get this next property built. Um, so then out of the blue, I took a trip to Ohio and there was too many times that were for sale. Um, and I'd already kind of been looking for maybe a second or a third store. So we bought the two stores out there, um, use it more as like a trial and error. At the same time. At the same time, yes, we bought them from an owner who owned both. Um, they were looking to move on, get out of the business. They actually, I think, mm-hmm. transitioning to Chicago, if I remember right, they were moving out of, out of the okay. city. Um, or he worked in Chicago, one or the other. But so I, I was like, all right, well, hey, I mean, let's, you know, let's go for it. This is 2015 at this point. Um, I'm like, let's go for it, see what happens, you know. So I, I moved out there for six months, bought the two locations, um, try to turn them around. They didn't really have any personal training at all. So we set up a training draft and started, you know, driving membership bases and trying to do local marketing ads and just, you know, member parties, get people in the community to know that somebody who works there actually is a part of the community, that type of deal. 
Yeah. So this really was a relatively fun. blank slate for you to build on at that point too, right? Never done this before in my life, you know? So it was just another venture where I'm like, hey, I'll go for it. Um, what's the worst that could happen? I fail and I lose a couple hundred grand and I start all over again at 26. was literally my thought process. <laughs> Um, whatever that, let's give it a go that that's the best thought process but that's just how my mind works so yeah. yeah so we went for it so we um we funded the clubs we bought them we went for it at the same time i'm you know trying to rebuild my store here in pittsburgh to a bigger location expand it knowing that i'm gonna have to move in the next two years um but i need a i need a bigger store finding you know locations here in pittsburgh was just it was awful um it was tough. Like it didn't make any sense, you know, like uh, all the places I looked at was just outrageous. I didn't want to build it. So anyway, I got this connection here with Pittsburgh, uh, 2015 at the same time I was living in Ohio, the landlord called me from Pittsburgh and was like, Hey, you know, my son's a member of your gym. We have this building. So I came back for a weekend, uh, looked at it and I was like, all right, this is a lot of work. We got to rehab the entire building. It was an old empty warehouse with an open swimming pool. Like there was a retractable glass roof, so we'd have to replace the roof and we'd have to redo everything. This is, this is a build out. Yeah. It was, it was a build out. So we were going from, we were basically going from 4,400 square feet to right under 10,000 square feet. Um, I had What's to go, another couple hundred grand. <laughs> right. I had to go through corporate to get it approved just because you're not typically allowed to have locations. That's over. Yeah. Um, so I had to go through the approval process, explain why it made sense. So we built that out. We started building that in 2017. At that point, I had moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, I unloaded the clubs in Ohio. The one we shut down to merge with the other one, the one location really never took off. So we just kind of merged it with the other one. We unloaded those the end of 2017. And then 2018, we shut down for a week in August and we transitioned all the equipment to the new building. And then we reopened the end of August, 2018. So that was kind of, I've been there ever since. Um, that's the location we're at now. And then 2019, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do another store. I'm done. Like I'm over this. Um, and it was like, I think January or February of 19, um, I caught wind of this new housing plan going up about 20 minutes North of us. And they're doing a commercial build out and all this stuff. And so of course, the next thing, you know, within a week or two, and <laughs> we're talking about doing a location. Um, so yeah. We were I didn't we, say no. Right. We were set to build. We were ready to start. Um, November of 19, we had some pushbacks with local authority just for the construction side of what he was doing. It's a massive development. So um, it's about almost a hundred and something uh, square feet of commercial properties. And, and then on top of that, there's also over 120 individual single homes, as well as over 80 condos. So it was a pretty big, you know, development. Um, so that was kind of pushed back a little bit going into 2020. And then obviously COVID hits, you know, in March of 20, which kind of slowed up the entire process. So we actually didn't even get that store open until September of 21. Um, so it was about a year and a half after COVID before I was actually able to open the doors. So, and we've been there now ever since. So it'll be about 16 months, 17 months. So to summarize here, you look at these, and, and I appreciate this about you, you look at these as businesses and assets more so than personal passion. There's, of course, there's, there's a feel good wanting to help people aspect to this, but at the heart of this, 
It's, it's what makes financial sense. These are businesses at the end of the day. I talk to a whole lot of people on this podcast and I, I find more often than not in this continuum of on one side, pure greedy capitalism and on the other side, sunshine and rainbows and, and trying to help anybody and everybody, the best fitness businesses, not businesses in general, but fitness businesses, usually somewhere in the middle, right? There's a little bit of wiggle room there, but we need to have influences from both sides of this for, for longevity and success. Now, I assume that you've learned a thing or two about owning and running gyms in that time. It's been over a decade you've been doing this. What do you think is the biggest difference between how you run clubs now versus how you ran that first one in, in 11 or 12? Well, I mean, I was 22, so I was, uh, I was super young. I was immature to a degree, you know, like I was just, I was passionate. I was aggressive. Um, I love opportunity. I love risk. I'm a competitor, you know, like if we, we play pickup basketball and, you know, you might be the nicest guy in the world, but when we're playing, I don't really care who you are and you can, we can be friends. <laughs> for you. That's just always been my personality and my nature, which I think is kind of what helped me at that age, be able to set a good foot going forward. Um, the hardest part I think was juggling, like juggling basically who you work with, like your, you know, the employees, the trainers at that age, I was, honestly younger than most of the staff that worked for me. Um, so it was tough, you know, like I'd have members all the time be like, Oh, I've been, you know, a member of a gym longer than you've been alive. You know, you should do this and this and this. And it always rubbed me the wrong way at first. Um, I didn't, you know, I'm like, dude, I would never walk into your house. It's an ego check. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like, you know, and, and I know most yeah. of them weren't being ignorant, you know, it was just, that's just how they viewed it. Right. Like, Oh, this kid's 22 years old. What does he know? You know? Um, but I think the one thing I've learned is like, you can't, you have to allow people to bring their style of passion to your store. It can't be the same passion that I have. Um, the way that I sell, the way that I sell and how I connect with members and clients and the programs that I put together, you know, I can't expect my trainers to do that because they're not the ones that risked everything to open the store. And that's not a knock on anybody. That's just the way I view it is different. It's, it's my baby. It's my gym. It's my heart. It's my life. So you have to kind of coach the trainers and your staff to come with you. You can't expect them to be you. Um, yep. And a good friend of mine told me when I first started, you know, he said above the team, but of the team. And I've never, yep. I've never forgot it. Like I've always ran with that. Um, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm just as human as the next guy. So, you know, I'll be 33 here in a couple of weeks. I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to lose money. You know, like I lost a couple hundred thousand at those stores in Ohio it's, it's just part of the experience happens to the best of us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just part of what it is. Um, you know, and I think it's the, the main thing now that I would tell myself is like, just don't, don't put expectations on your employees that are unrealistic because then they'll always let you down. Um, yeah. but instead have a system or a structure that helps them, you know, come to where you want them. Um, and I think a lot of absentee owners who kind of view any times as an investment, you know, it's not really, their passion, their livelihood, their job. They just kind of look at it as, oh, this is a way to make eight to 10 to 12% return on my money over the next five years. Um, yep. When they do that, they, they bring in like lower underqualified employees because they're just paying them less and they're giving them less tools, less of a structure, less of a system. And they have just a constant overturn. Um, mm -hmm. And that's always one thing that I've tried to pride myself in is 
taking a little bit more care of how I treat and how I pay and how I teach those that work with me. Um, you know, that way, long-term you, you create comfortability for your members, you know, and your clients, they, they know that that manager is going to be there. I mean, I've had the same manager now for seven years, um, before yeah. that I had the same manager for, I've only ever had two managers, you know? Um, so yeah. that's, that's, I think for me, it's just knowing how to connect and relate with the employees more than anything else, teach them, structure them, help them to help you and make it easier for everybody. You know, you're not running a gauntlet here. You don't have to beat them over the head with anything. Um, they either it fake. reminds me a lot of, of like the Marriott hotels theory where you take care of the team and the team will take care of the clientele, right? If they're, if the team is not happy, they're going to put out a bad product and the clientele is not going to be happy. And so for you in the role that you're in, you've found much more success from investing into the people, the, the staff, because <laughs> You cannot be in all places at once. It can't be Titus hands-on everything. Completely understood. I want to shift gears a little bit here because a lot of people listen to our show almost exclusively for different ideas of, of how they can grow their business and get more people in through the doors. Over the years for you, what have you found to be successful from marketing strategy and what would you maybe not recommend people go into? So the marketing side's always a toss up, right? Like you, if you're a small business owner, you, you can't afford not to market, but you can't afford to market is the phrase, right? Like that's just kind of how everybody views it. Um, for me, it was more so about selling the customer once they're in the gym on an experience than it was about how do I get them in the door, right? You can give 20 tours, but if the experience when those 20 tours are there, it turns into five members, you failed. So how can I get 15 tours and get 15 memberships? Um, if you get the 15 memberships, then you put them with a personal trainer and you give them their free fitness consultation. And the next thing you know, you now have opportunities of adding to your revenue stream through training, nutrition, group training that you never would have had if you sucked at giving tours. So I kind of always more went on quality of a tour and how you get people in than I did quantity of tours and like how many people do I get? Um, you know, local big box clubs, they're, they're all about, we want a hundred, we want a hundred tours, you know, every week we got to give this. Yeah, it's, just it's just volume numbers. Yeah. They, want, they yeah. just want to crush out big numbers, which is great. I mean, for their model, it makes total sense, but you know, for any time for the more intimate, smaller box feel, um, you know, it's all quality. Like what do they get while they're there? So I think that's more so we've always marketed through Facebook, um, you know, just the basic outreaching social media, the bigger social media got, when I first started, man, I didn't even have Instagram. It wasn't even, I mean, it was a thing, but nobody really had it. I mean, that I knew personally, yeah. not from a business standpoint, at least. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, Snapchat was around, but it had just been out for, I think a year or two, you know? So it wasn't like all the things that you use now, I never did Facebook either. So um, that was an adjustment for me, you know, like personally, I literally just got on Instagram about three months ago. I mean, that's just how I am. <laughs> I didn't even know they were still allowing people to sign up. Right. But yes. Yeah. They let me on. So I, I got on somehow. Yeah. Um, good. But yeah, so I think for, and so social media has been an aspect of it, right? It's, it's, it's something that we have to use in the fitness space, but that strategy has evolved over time is what I'm understanding. Is that right? Yeah. And I think it's, it changed, you know, when I first opened, I did a 10,000 mail home out or a 10,000 house mail out with poster cards, you know, like the flyers and all that mm. stuff. 
it was great. It worked. Um, you know, but the longer you're there, uh, it, people just become stagnant with the fact that, yeah, that we already know that they're there. So then you yeah. kind of start to beat people over the head with, all right, well, another mail out from any time, right? It's January. Um, you don't, you know, we kind of, that whole train of signing up people when we first started really slowed down, I think, going into like year three, just because we were no longer the new kid on the block. I mean, we were, we were established now. People knew who we were. But the one thing that we constantly did was reach out and convert regular basic members to personal training clients for extra revenue. Um, and that I- was going to be my next question here is, is because of the, the kind of middle ground that Anytime Fitness has established itself, it's not quite micro gym, it's not quite big box, it's, it's sort of this hybrid in between. A lot of the time, and there are anytime owners that are focused on volume signups, like you said, of course, but a lot of the time, the metric to look at becomes more revenue per member instead of just how many EFTs do we have? And that comes in the form of, like you said, PT, group training, nutrition, supplements, apparel, whatever else you want to layer on there. How do you, or let me ask the question a different way. When do you bring that into the conversation with a potential new member or an existing member? And and how do you focus on that from the role that you're in? So currently I don't, I'm not responsible for most of the tours anymore. Um, I don't, you know, I don't do the membership side as often as I used to, just because I have a manager now at our second location that does a great job. Um, and they do the membership side, but you know, if, if they need an FC and if they need somebody to meet with the trainer or meet, you know, a client to meet with the new, with the trainer and they want to get them signed up, they showed interest in training or interest in nutrition or anything outside of just the basic membership. Um, you know, this is my 11th year and I still do the FCs. So I think for me, it's just part of, you give them that experience of the customer service side, right? If they're paying 44, 49, 55 bucks a month they can go down the street to Planet Fitness for nine or 19. So what do you give them that's validating you charging 44? Um, and I think it's just the experience, you know, like what's the customer service? You're, you're a name, you're not a number. So I pride myself and I pride my staff and we know every member's name that walks in the door. Um, you greet them with a name, you greet them with the, hey, like, hey, what's up, John? How are you? Like, how was your weekend? Did you guys go to that baseball game? Small chit chat with every single member Um, working the floor is something that we do all the time, you know? So if you're not training or if you're not with a customer, you can be in the office if you're a manager and do some small work here and there. But the majority of the time you're on the floor, Um, connect with members, find out what their goal is. What are they looking for? How's their workouts? Are they losing any weight? You know? And sometimes the best thing you can do is just be totally honest with somebody and be like, listen, man, I've seen your workouts last four weeks and they suck. Like, are you going to do your session or not? <laughs> and that's how I go about it. And people will laugh because they appreciate it. They, they now know that you, you see what they do when they're there. So they don't just mm-hmm. feel like they walk in the door and they're just doing their thing. They leave. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of the niche that we've done. That's been extremely helpful is just connecting personally with every single member. Um, I, I know every member by their car. So I'm, I'm a car guy. So if they pull in, I know who's coming in before they even walk in the door because I see their car hit the parking lot. Um, hey, what's up? You know, how's your car? Everything good? Did you get the inspection done? Um, when are you train that in and getting the newer one? That model's kind of outdated. It's been about six years. You know, they added this to the engine in the 17 model or whatever. Something yeah. that just creates that personal touch. They're not going to get at like a planet or a YMCA or something else like that. Um, yeah. 
not that there's anything wrong with those stores. It's just the way that we're designed. Different, different product. Yeah. yeah. So you have to kind of approach it differently. Um, and then from there, it's your chance to sell yourself, you know, cause when you talk with training and nutrition, you know, what does a client leave with after they pay you 500 bucks a month to work with you two or three times a week, they leave with a receipt. I mean, they don't get anything tangible. So you're selling them on hopes and dreams of, you know, changing their life. Let's go get this. Um, so they have to buy into who you are and what you do and your passion as a trainer. And I tell all my guys, you know, and, and girls, if you're a good trainer, you don't have to tell them how good you are. The results will come yeah. if, you're, if you're a good trainer. So you got to get them in the door. You got to get them to pay. You got to get them to come in front of you three, four times a week. The money will talk if you're a good trainer. It'll, it'll work if you're a good trainer. So don't, you don't have to yeah. convince people of how good you are. Convince them of what you can do for them and convince them of why they should work with you. Uh, but it's all personal, you know? So it's, it's the personal side of the coin that a lot of trainers are good trainers they're just their personality lacks. Um, I think that gets lost in the shuffle in our industry a lot. Right. You know, we've got all kinds of people who have every acronym listed after their name and certifications upon certifications, but can't have a, a conversation with another human being sitting across from them. Right. And don't realize that if you're going to be a trainer, you're spending in half an hour or an hour with these people, you're going to have to talk to them at some point. And that time is much more meaningful than the set of eight or set of 10 or whatever they just did. You know, yeah, I appreciate sure. that perspective wholeheartedly, especially because you've been doing this so long and it's proven time and time again, it's the relationships that drive business in our industry, not the, the latest fad or the latest gimmick at least. Now I want to, I want to save a minute here for, you to kind of explore where all of this is going, at least for you. The, the growth of our industry, at least post-pandemic, is, is exciting for a lot of people. What do you think the future of your gyms is going to look like? What do you think, where do you want this to all go is probably a better question. Uh, well, I could go four or five different ways. Um, I never close my eyes or my mind off to any opportunity, which could suck, you know, hence the reason why I did the Ohio stores and I failed. Um, but you, you take so much from it, you know, going forward, you, if you can learn from the failures, you're at least learning something. Right. So for me, I've had to evolve the way that even I do training, um, especially since COVID, you know, we've seen a, a decrease in new one-on-one -on -one clients, but we've seen a lot of people now who want the group style more. Um, they want the classroom feel. They want that F45 energy. They want that culture where they come in, they train and everybody leaves and goes, gets coffee and they're matching outfits and, you know, whatever. So that the culture side of it now, the connection side, because, you know, people didn't do anything for how many months during COVID. So I think now it's more of a social thing. Um, not in a bad way. Once again, if your product is good, there's nothing wrong with it being social. If, as long as you can still deliver a product while it's a social environment. Um, the results will still come. So, you know, I think it's changed. Like I never did group training. Um, I thought it was a waste. I thought it was stupid. Um, that's just me personally as a trainer. I'm like, what is a 45 minute hit class twice a week going to do for you as a client? Nothing. Um, but I had to change the way I think, right? Because you limit yourself to a small group of customers if you're not open to always expanding and changing how you do things. 
So after COVID, I really had to relook at things be like, okay, who can I learn from? Who does group training? Um, who can teach me group training? Who can even tell me why it's worth group training? You know, like, why would I even want to do this as a trainer? Um, but it's crazy too, though, because once I opened my mind to the group training side, I actually had clients that would want to do one-on-ones because they realized the benefit of the group uh-huh. and, then, and then they wanted more, yeah. right? They, they wanted to expand yeah. on top of that. So if I would have kept my mind closed off to be like, no, I'm not doing it. I've always done training. It's one-on-one only. It's one-on-one only. Um, you know, we would have, we wouldn't have had the clients we have. So yeah. I think that's kind of the trend of the way it's going. Like I know even as a corporate office, our office now pushes the group training more. Um, Burn-based build is like the product that they want to do for the group classes. So that was never a thing when I first started, you know, it was just one-on-one sessions. There was no, and even then they didn't have a structure in place. We had to develop our own structure. So I think that's the trend and the way it's fading. Um, I'm working on some stuff business-wise personally, you know, that I would, that I hopefully within a few months or so, I can kind of more dive, dive, dive into a little bit and explain. Um, but, you know, I'm looking to kind of take the last decade and kind of step out Um my businesses are actually, they're, they're up for sale. Um, just to kind of personally, I got, you know, I got married last year. I have three little ones. Um, I'm trying to restructure my whole world, you know, and kind of, okay. There's a lot of moves. <laughs> yeah. So I did this for, you know, 11 years. Um, I still want to be involved in the industry. I'm not, I'm not done with it, you know, but I have to have a change of pace and a change of schedule. Um, so, but you know, at the end of the day, if, why step away from something if it's, if it's working, um, unless you take it to try something new, you know? So I think that's the thing you have to, I would have never considered in a million years group training if it wasn't for COVID. So, you know, something bad opened a whole nother revenue stream for something good. Um, and it sucked, you know, it was bad to come out of, but it brought on a new way of training that I would have never even thought I would have done ever. Um, yeah. so we just try to find the positive, even if the situation is kind of sucky, um, it just kind of helps you, you know, keep yourself focused and growth, you know, change, always, always adapt and keep moving. That's, that's really the name of the game, especially in the last two or three years here is, is adaptability and, and flexibility for you. It sounded like we were for lack of a better term, sort of hard-headed about how we ran things and were forced into being a little bit more adaptable. But here we are rolling with the punches and now have this this new potential and, and a new flame lit underneath you, if you will, to keep you going. Obviously, you mentioned 11 plus years in the industry, taking the entirety of what you learned and putting it into something else that experience is invaluable right? for sure. So it's a trial and error type field. You're still here and we're still trying. So Titus, that's a great place for us to start to wrap things up, but I want to save a minute for you to tell people where they can learn either more about your clubs, more about you. What is a website that people can go to, to connect with you? What are social media links? How can people find out more? Yeah. Um, so like I said, I, I really wasn't a big social media guy. Um, so I just, I just got Instagram back in November. Um, so I really haven't even put much on it, you know, personally or business wise yet. Um, but obviously our anytime websites, you know, so if you go to the local anytime website, you can check us out. We're in Gibsonia, we're in Valencia, PA. 
Um, both of those have numbers. If anybody ever has any questions and my managers, literally I'm on here because one of you guys called one of my stores and asked for me. So, you know, that's the best way at this point. And then from there, you know, if it makes sense to communicate or talk or answer any questions and link up business wise, um, you know, obviously I'll, I'll give myself a number out and stuff like that at that point. Um, uh, but that's Fantastic. probably the best way for now, you know, and then, um, if we connect and it makes sense, then obviously, you know, personally, we can get into like the social media ads and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm still getting the, in, the intricacies for yes. sure. Something we don't necessarily always have time for, but Titus, this has been awesome, man. I, I genuinely appreciate your, your willingness to share thoughts and perspectives on your time in the industry. I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. So we'll have to check in again down the road. For now, we're out of time, but I appreciate it. And I wish you nothing but the best one, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Absolutely. To everyone who tuned in, thank you as well. Don't forget, if you'd like to be notified about future episodes, hit like and subscribe. If you're interested in joining us to talk about your business, click the link in the description, fill it out. Our team will be in touch soon. And as always, until next time, Jim Lawrence out. Thank you for listening to this interview, but don't go anywhere. We still have two more incredible interviews coming right up inside this episode. But if you're a gym owner that's looking to get more clients, keep them longer, and make more money, head to the link in the description of this podcast and schedule a free leave your credit card at home consultation with one of our business consultants. You see, here at Gym Launch, we've helped over 4,000 gym owners across the world increase their sales, take home more money, and build the business of their dreams. And it simply starts with a phone call. Click on the link in the description of this podcast to schedule your call today. Now, let's head into the next interview. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Gym Lords Podcast. I'm your host today, Adam. And today with me is the one and only Darren Mashinsky out of Tom's River, New Jersey with Checkmates Boxing and MMA Striking Skills. Darren, how are you today, sir? Good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Thank you so much for asking. Appreciate you taking the time to hop on and have a conversation. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open it up to you. Go ahead and give all the listeners a little bit of background on yourself, what you've done, you know, ultimately what led you into your checkmates boxing and MMA striking skills facility. Great. So my name is Darren Mashinsky. Um, I have 28 professional boxing fights, 50 amateur fights. And, um, I won my last pro fight on ESPN two. When I was uh, 31 years old, I'm now 52, and I've been uh, doing, after I won my last pro fight, I um, started doing boxing training in a regular fitness center for about a year or so. Um, I started with one, I was doing one-on-one sessions. I started with one client, and about four or five months later, I was doing 40 to 60 one-on-one sessions a week. Um, And that's what I did for a bunch of years until I finally uh, opened my own location. Um, it was actually in Tom's River on Fisher Boulevard. Um, but I've been in three locations, uh, since then for the last 20 years or so. And, um, the last location I just moved to about six months ago, it's uh, my biggest location yet. It's like 3000 square feet. It's, um, on 1861 Hooper Avenue in Tom's River, New Jersey. And I have Boston classes 5 PM to 8 PM during a week and 11 AM to 1 PM Saturday and Sunday. I pretty much train, um, you know, a lot of kids, girls, guys, kids, pretty much eight to 65. Um, 
Some of them fight for real. Most of them don't. Most of them are there just for fun, self-defense, um, you know, just to get some some striking skills, abilities, and stuff like that, some self-defense and stuff. Excellent, Darren. And so, you know, quite the years in, in business and everything. So is this a, a single location? Do you have multiple studios or is it just a one bigger facility? Just one bigger lo- location, yep. All right. I, I'm pretty much the main trainer there. So if we if I had another location, it'd be um, hard for me to to do that. I mean, a lot of people, I, I make my classes fun. Um, everybody has a good time. They learn how to fight for real. Um, I do a lot of mitt work with everybody. So but I, I pretty much get the best workout in the whole place because I, I do mitts with everybody. If I have 20 people in the class at one particular night, I do mitts with everybody three, four minutes for, for um, you know, the whole three hours. So I actually do mitt work for three hours a day, seven day, uh, during the week, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then two hours, uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. Excellent. And what would you say is your current member base? Like how many members do you have inside your facility? Well, I have, I don't know, maybe about 40, 45, but on any given day, but thank God they don't all come usually on the same day. So I have about 20 people in a class, 25, 18, 15. You, you really never know on any given day. Usually earlier in the week, I'm a little busier. Like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are usually busier um, than later on in the week yeah and is the layout of your facility is it pretty open do you have like a cap that you put on your classes where you know like 25 is the max or 30 is the max to where it's still no, no cap you know it's a real boxing gym it's got a, a ring so seven eight heavy bags um a couple uppercut bags speed bags double end bags um i got a, a weight room um in the gym and so it's pretty much you know it's got everything in it. Excellent. And so, you know, what are kind of your goals moving forward for like this year and the next few years coming up with your facility? Like where do you really want to take your boxing and MMA facility? Well, I mean, I like to get a few more real fighters, but you know, I'm, I'm in Tom's over in New Jersey. I'm not like in the, in the city or anything like that. So there's not that many, um, parents that send their kids to a gym to be professional boxers or anything like that, you know, and it's, um, it also takes a certain person to get in there fight one-on-one. It's not for everybody, but I still do teach self-defense and, um, and people get in good shape and stuff like that and have fun and all that. And, um, eventually, you know, I got people, if, if you come with me just for one month and say you were to fight yourself a month later, you'd kill your old self. So I teach real fighting skills and um, all my guys get better. And next thing you know, they're in their sparring and, and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and I love what I do. Um, it's not even like a job to me because I love doing it. That's always the best feeling. Yeah. You have fun doing what you're doing. It's like you're never working a day in your life. That's right. Yep. Excellent. So, you know, it is this gym, is it like your full-time position or do you do something else on the side with and being part of a business owner or is this like the main yeah i stay up late watching movies <laughs> i sleep all day and then i get up and go to work at uh 5 p.m <laughs> so i got a good life i was gonna say yeah you can't complain with that um nope. 
have you ever had, you know, thoughts of, you know, expanding on your facility, maybe doing more classes throughout the day, getting, you know, maybe different styles of classes in, or is it mainly you're sticking to just kind of like one particular style and that's um, you know, just, just boxing, straight boxing. Um, I'm not an MMA guy. I mean, I've trained a lot of MMA guys for striking skills. So, you know, they teach me here, like at the rear naked choke, the guillotine, the arm bar. Like, I'm pretty good at a bunch of those moves, but I'm far from an MMA fighter. I'm pretty much just a boxer, but I do have some some of the skills, some of the main moves I know for the MMA guys um, that, that are taught to me from some MMA guys that I train. Yeah, absolutely. So currently, you know, kind of dive into leads where where do most people find your facility like how do your leads come into the door well if you uh put uh boxing gyms near me on google um so anybody's around me it's gonna my gym's gonna come up and there's not really that many boxing gyms around anyway not real ones anyway so if you google boxing gyms i'm like the first place that comes up if you're like 50 miles from wherever you're at i come right up on google you know my my google page and you know, all that stuff like that. My location, my hours, everything comes up right on Google. Excellent. Or if you're like, if you're where you're at, you put Boston Gyms in Tom's River, New Jersey, I'll come right up. You know, or Boston Gyms in Ocean County, New Jersey, I'll come up. You know, so uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, Got to get a lot of leads from Google. And also, I've been doing it for 20 years now, just the training part. So, I get a lot of people, I'm training kids, kids now, you know what I mean? When I trained people 20 years ago, now I'm training some of the people I trained 20 years ago is I'm training their kids, you know, so they actually send their kids to me. So, you know, hopefully I live long enough. So I'll be training their kids, kids. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and I'm a fun trainer. I have a good time. People, everybody has, everybody helps everybody in the gym. And uh, everybody has a good time, not only learning how to fight and s- learning self-defense, they also get in shape and uh, also have a good time doing it. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you have aspirations to, you know, potentially bring on other trainers or, you know, fill the studio more than what it is now? Or is it kind of like you just want to keep it a one-man show? I do have a guy that that helps me run the classes. His name is Eric. Uh, he does a lot of the, he does boxing too, but he pretty much is more of like of a fitness trainer, like with calisthenics and some weight training and stuff like that. And he just helps a lot of my students with uh, stuff like that. Excellent. Um, so with leads, you know, where, you know, you mentioned 40, 45, is that like a comfortable number? Are you aspiring to, you know, get 60, 70, 80 members inside the facility and get bigger or? Yeah. I mean, the the bigger, the better. I mean, you know, it's money wise too, you know, you you make money. So like that, my rates are like, I'm not a free, like I'm not like a PAL or anything like that. I'm actually a boss gym and most of my students pay, not most of them, everybody pays for the membership. It's uh, basically uh, it's uh, $20 a class or it's $150 a month to come as many classes as you want during those hours, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. during the week and 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. It's $350 for three months or $900 for a year. You come as much as you want. 
at those times. Yeah, and that's paid in full. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Um, so with your facility, you know, how are you tracking all the leads and things that come in? And do you have like a CRM software or is it kind of like old school or what's the. Yeah, it's just old school. Everybody signs in. Um, I, I got a, a notepad on the front desk. So when you come in, you sign in and somebody buys the membership, then I don't put what they paid and then the membership due date and all that stuff like that. So it's all, I have a desk lady cat that she, um, she runs the desk and takes care of a lot of that stuff. Cause I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, you know, I have 28 pro fights, 50 amateur fights. I took a lot of punches to the head. So, um, I need some help with, um, keeping records and stuff like that. So I have help from somebody to help me with that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that makes total sense. Um, you know, so what, with your focus with, you know, the students, um, you know, young or old, you know, what, what's the biggest thing that you teach to them in your classes? Like what, what's kind of like the philosophy and, and, and the, the methodology behind it? I'm a defensive trainer. So I, what I mean by that is, as uh, I hit back with the mitts, they're not like real hard mitts or like soft fluffy mitts, but I hit back my clients. So usually when I start somebody in the beginning, I can pretty much get anybody when I want to get them. Um, and after about a couple of months go by, all of a sudden they become harder to hit. And then I even, I got some guys that I can't even hit anymore with the mitts anymore because they're so elusive because they're so used to me hitting them back with the mitts. Eventually the right hand coordination gets better and, and they just get used to it. And then uh, when, then when they spar somebody, they're hard to hit. So basically, because I'm still pretty fast for a 53-year-old because I work out doing mitts um, every day for 20 years. So I'm still in really good shape. So pretty much if I cannot get you with the mitts in the head or body, whatever, then when you start sparring, then the people that are sparring can't get you either. If I can't get you, they can't get you. So... I'm a big defensive trainer. Um, you know, I teach a lot of different things like counter punching and, and different combinations and stuff like that that are, um, you know, pro combos and why you throw the punches and how to counter punch and, and a lot of footwork and stuff like that. Pretty much everything that has to do with, with real boxing, um, that's what I teach. But I like I said, I do a lot of mitt work. And when if you're doing mitts with me, you you got to have your hands up because I'll bop you all the time because I call the shots and the combos. So I kind of have the advantage to counterpunch and stuff like that. So, uh, but like I said, eventually the people that have been there for a while, some of them are, I can't even hit anymore. If I try doing mitt work with them. Yeah. And then obviously the training is paying off and it's working because now they're starting to adapt. Yes. Yep. The defense is all my guys are very hard to hit, especially the ones that have been training for a while. They're, um, like I said, I'm a defensive trainer and um, they're pretty much unhittable. Excellent. Training is paying off. Yes. Yep. So, on average, you know, how many new people are you seeing coming into your facility um, and or signing up for, you know, one of your different packages or memberships? Well, yesterday was a good day. I had three new members join up just yesterday. 
it depends on the year. Sometime of the year, you're a little slower than others. But right now, I'm, I'm picking up, um, doing pretty good. I collected about five, eight members, new members just in the last week. Um, and most of it's from like word of mouth. And like I said, Google, you come in, if you Google gyms near me, then they find my gym, they come in, they check it out. And, and most of them, everybody pretty much has fun there. And uh, they know that I know what I'm doing. I do have 28 pro fights and uh, 50 amateur fights, the former champion, all this stuff like that. So, um, you know, my skills are, are pretty good being I've been doing it for so long and the experience that I have had over in my life. Yeah. hundred percent. And then with the, the retention of your, your current existing membership base, do you see a lot of fall off? Do you see a lot of people stick around month every month? I have people that disappear for a while. Then I have people that have come to me for like six, eight months. And then next thing you know, they come back eight months later. You know what I mean? So people, some people go, and then stop for a while, then come back. And maybe it's the money. Maybe it's, it's they're busy. You know. So I have, but, but I have a lot of recurring clients. Um, like I said, I'm actually training people that I have trained kids now. So that's how long I've been doing it. That that obviously I'm doing something right because the people that I'm training are now sending their kids to me. So you know that's pretty good. Yeah, they still remember you know everything that they did. So right, bring their kids to it. Excellent. Um, with you know everything that you're doing right now, what's what are your your long term goals? You know, with what you want to do, how long you want to be in the facility, you know, things like that. Like, do you have any other like personal aspirations, or is it kind of you know just continue on with what you're doing until? Yeah, just continue on with what I'm doing. I love what I do. I've been doing it for 20 years now since I retired. Um, had a good professional career. And then I retired and uh, I was in the union for, um, uh, I met a guy that I was training. I was doing one-on-ones with him. And um, he gave me a job in the union for $22 an hour. So that was pretty good. It was a laborers union. But it was it was definitely a hard job. You know, it was it was an hour away drive, well, almost an hour and to Trenton. I drove all the way to Trenton, worked eight hours digging holes, lab- laboring, came back dead tired, went to sleep, woke up, did the same thing again. You know, I did it for five days a week. Um, it was a good paying job, but it was um, it was a rough job. So, I, I, it was actually my sponsor. His name was Joe Gingoli. Um, at Jingoli Construction. And um, after about eight months, maybe nine months in the laboring job, close to a year, I said, Joey, I really hate this job. And he says, okay. He said, he bought, he bought me a pair of Boston gloves and a pair of Focus Mitts. And he says, okay, now you have your own business. Go be a boxing trainer. And I went into a, this, to a fitness center, KS Fitness, and I said, you know, I'd like to be a boxing trainer. And they kind of knew who I was because I was in the papers all the time. I was on HBO. I fought ESPN. I fought on USA. I fought in Italy, Switzerland, Denmark, Germany, Holland, Australia. And um, they were like, okay. So they gave me a job. And the next thing you know, four or five months later, I was doing 40 to 50, 60 one-on-ones a week, hour sessions. And then um, after a year or two in that place, I kind of they, they I actually let me put a ring in there right in the middle of the gym. And I got so busy that after about a, 
a year, year and a half, they were like, Darren, we love you, but you know, we, we gotta, we're going to have to ask you to leave because I had so many people coming in there. This was the regular gym, gym, like not a boxing gym, just a regular fitness center. Yeah. Um, I had these big crowds of people and my gym was, my ring was right in the middle of the gym. So eventually they were like, you know, you, you, down, like I said, we love you, but you have to leave, you know, to find a new look. So I went, went and got my own location on uh, Fisher Boulevard was the first location I had small little place, only like 1200 square feet. I was there for about three or four years. And then I, I kind of outgrew that place and I got too, it was too small for all the clients that I had. So then I got another place, um, on Whitesville road for about, no, actually 37 for about six years. I was in that place. And, um, and then, um, some firm bought them out and they raised my rent like $1,800 a month or something like that. So you know what? So then I went and found another place on Whitesville road. And that, uh, that was about 2,800 square feet. And, uh, I was there for about five years at that place. And, um, but then I outgrew that place and I went and got a bigger place on Hooper Avenue, which was about six, seven months ago. So I'm in my biggest location right at yet right now. I'm right next to the, uh, DMV, the, the motor vehicle plaza, um, right next to the Brooklyn Bistro, a restaurant. Um, and I'm right on the main road, Hooper Avenue in, in Tomsville, New Jersey. And so this is like the best location I've been at yet. Um, a lot of the other locations were like kind of like in the, in the middle of nowhere. But I still was busy, but now I'm getting a lot busier now because I'm um, in a better location. Yeah, and a bigger, a bigger facility too at that. Yep, bigger facility better location um yeah yeah and obviously well known for various reasons and you know you've got a good reputation and you know uh practice successful skill training and everything like that with your current students right uh, you know marketing wise you know obviously you know a lot of word of mouth a lot of referral organic reach your your previous students kids are not coming into things like that you know have you ever thought about trying like paid advertising or digital ads to increase, you know, your leads coming in to increase your member base. I've done that in the, in the past here and there, but not really. I don't, I don't have to do that anymore. It's just word of mouth. Google is, is a big help. Cause like I said, if you Google gyms near me, I'm going to come up if you're like within 50, hundred miles around me, you know, in, in that, in that distance, I come up, Right, like first, pretty much in any Google search for boxing gyms near me. So Google's a big tool for me too. Google, word of mouth, plus anybody that comes there has a good time. They learn real fighting skills. Um, they, they, I'm like, it's just even in one month I get these guys. They couldn't throw, they couldn't break an egg, and then you watch them a month later, and you see the difference. So I usually tell most of my clients, especially if they bring the, or anybody really to film themselves when they first come. Mm -hmm. And then a month or two later, they film themselves again. And the, the progress that they see is like unbelievable. It's like night and day. How much better do you get just in a few months? Yeah. Just being consistent, you know, taking the, the training seriously. Right. Yep. So. 
and you know, like I'm, I'm, if you YouTube my name or Google my name, I'm, I'm all over the place. I do have 28 pro fights. I beat Meltzer Taylor, Buddy McGirt. Uh, I fought Fernando Vargas in HBO. That one was a controversial loss. Um, and all those fights are actually on YouTube too. So, you know, a lot of people um, also, if you put boxing gyms near me on YouTube too, or YouTube my name, I come up all over the place with a lot of my pro fights, a lot of clips of what I do with the mitt work and stuff like that. So I'm pretty much figure it out just through to experience and stuff like that, how to prom promote myself through Google, YouTube, uh, Instagram, stuff like that. Um, and I get a lot of clients like that. Yeah, right. also, I'm also in an area there's not like many professional fighters around here. There's pretty much not any in, in Ocean County. Um, there's like one or two maybe, but not really anybody that went as far as I did. So, you know, so in, as far as boxing is concerned uh, in this area, uh, New Jersey in general, really, uh, but Ocean County, there's, there's uh, nobody really like me. Yeah, so you kind of have that advantage as well. Yeah. You have the experience at 28 pro fights inducted. I was inducted into the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame in 2009. Um, so like with all that stuff like that, um, that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, a couple last things here for you. You know, I know uh, we, we talked about it earlier, but, you know, what, you know, every, every quote unquote successful person or anybody that's ever done anything for themselves, you know, always has that 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 first or second thing that they're like oh man like if i focus on this more if i did that more if i made this change i would be you know better off you know what what's kind of that that one or two things that you know you really want to see moving forward from what you're currently doing well i've been doing it for a long time but and i've had fights people that won the golden gloves fought in the golden gloves or the diamond gloves or I had a, a couple of pros um but like I said, I do have a lot of fights, took a lot of punches to the head, long yeah. career, long amateur career. So I'm not, um, I'm a little punchy, I guess you could say, um, but I'm a smart dummy. You know what I mean? But I have some manageability issues like, like with, with getting people fights and the weights and matching them up and getting their books ready and, and getting them licensed and stuff like that. So I really maybe am looking for somebody that can help me out a little bit more with, with those kind of uh, things, like to get more, a little more, um, how am I going to put it? Um, so I can schedule things for people to fight for real and stuff like that. I should have a, probably a little more fighters than I, I have. Um, but a lot of that's my own fault because um, I don't really, I'm not really that good at, at um organizing like that kind of stuff so i'm thinking about hiring somebody that helped me um to get people licensed the dates of when the fights are and stuff like that and just somebody to help me to so some of the people could fight um for real um more often yeah absolutely kind of like a almost like a like a promoter of some sorts to yeah somebody that yep right somebody that can help manage uh that those kind of things but you know it's you got to know about it too because it's you know you got to be a little you need somebody that's experienced with uh the, that market because it's you know it's a crazy market and boxing is right. really not what it used to be anyway anymore even with the mma that kind of took over a lot and, um, 
And if you ever see boxing lately, a lot of them are like, like, like they're not real fighters anymore. A lot of them are there. It's like um, some of them. I mean, there's some good fighters around, but it's like a not a joke, but it's like uh, fantasy boxing. You know, and they're just show offs and stuff like that. And the boxing is definitely not what it used to be uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, there's all these YouTubers and, you know, people that are just trying to promote the good, right. fights. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The YouTubers. Yeah. That's, yep. So it's definitely not the, the you know, the Muhammad Ali days. And, uh, no, no. And not for nothing. I like MMA. I watch MMA. But but MMA kind of took over a little bit um, compared to the boxing. So there's not really as many boxers anymore as there used to be because everybody wants to do MMA. But what's good for me is um, if you want to be an MMA fighter, you have to be well-rounded. So you, you, you got to know jiu-jitsu good, kickboxing. You got to know all the martial boxing. You got you to know all that stuff. And you, So I'm one of the major arts in mixed martial arts, which is boxing. So I have a lot of people that I train that do mixed martial arts, but they're just there for the striking skills, just for the boxing skills, which is one of the, the main skills you need to be an MMA fighter. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, cool, Darren. Appreciate that. Last couple of things here for you today is first and foremost, you know, your years in, in business now, just with your facility, you know, what would be some words of advice that you would give to somebody that's looking to start their own fitness business, whether it's boxing, whether it's a gym, whether it's kickboxing or group fitness or, you know, yoga, what words of advice would you give somebody that's looking to start their own business? Well, I mean, it- I think whatever they're going to do, they, they would have to be skilled at what they're teaching. Um, or if they're going to start their own business, they have to have people in there that are skilled at what they're teaching, uh, whether it be the owner, I don't, who's going to be the trainer. But the trainers have to be skilled. And um, I think they have to make it fun for people. Um, and you have to, they have to be, your trainers have to be well-skilled at what they're teaching, which would usually be a real fighter or something like that. Because the best teacher is somebody who fought for real. Um, well, I mean, there's a few trainers here and there that never fought that can train people and stuff like that. But I don't think it's the same. I think it's, uh, it's better to have a trainer who's been through it, who's taken the punches, who's been knocked down the ring before, who's who's lost fights, who's won fights, who won titles, who traveled all over the place, stuff like that. So I think with all that experience, um, that makes a better trainer for somebody who's trying to learn that skill. Excellent. Love that. And then last thing for you, Darren. Um go ahead and give a shout out to all the ways that people out here listening right now can reach your facility, whether you have a website, Facebook, Instagram, how can everybody reach your facility? Well, pretty much any of those. I have a, um, a Checkmates Boston Instagram page. I have a Darren Mashinsky Instagram page. I have um, a Darren Mashinsky Facebook page. Um, I have a YouTube page. Um, I have a website, www.checkmates-boxing.com. 
Um, that's my website. I have, um, you know, of course, my cell number. Um, Google. If you Google my name or you Google boxing gyms near me, if you're anywhere near Tom's River, New Jersey, um, I come right up because there's not really that many boxing gyms around anyway. Um, but there, there are a few, but I still come up good. Uh, really good in the rate uh, when you do the Google search. That's how I get a lot of people. And like I said, I, I also get a lot of people from. Um, I'm like I said, I'm already I'm training kids. I'm training people that I train kids now. You know that's how long I've been doing it. You know what I mean. So, uh, you know, it's word of mouth and stuff like that. And um, I mean, apparently, I did something right. People are sending their kids to me. So, um, you know, that's pretty much it with that. Yeah, absolutely. I well, appreciate that. And I appreciate your time on the show today. Uh, for everybody out there listening, if you want to check out his place, his facility and learn real skills from real boxer, um, plenty of credibility, you know, he's the place for you go check him out. And then if anybody wants to be on the show, please feel free to click on the link below type in your information, we'll be in touch, and we'll get you on the show. But until then, y'all, that's been another episode of the Jim Lords podcast, Jim Lords out. Thank you for listening to the podcast so far. Don't go anywhere. We still have another episode coming right up right after this word from one of our sponsors. The Gym Lords podcast is sponsored by Prestige Labs. Prestige Labs is the first and only nutritional supplements company built by gym owners for gym owners. Prestige Labs solves the problem that all gyms have experienced, the broken inventory model, low commissions, and even lower quality products. Prestige Labs provides 100% drop shipping, zero inventory, PhD formulated high quality supplements for you and your clients. The goal is simple, cover 100% of your rent while never sacrificing your integrity. To learn more or to become an affiliate of Prestige Labs for free, apply at affiliate.prestigelabs.com. That's affiliate.prestigelabs.com. Double your client results, double your income. You can head to affiliate.prestigelabs.com to become an affiliate for free. Now stick around for the rest of this episode. Use coupon code GYMLORDS on prestigelabs.com for 20% off all future supplement orders. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Gym Lords podcast. I am your host. My name is Joe Fitzgerald. Joining us, our guest on the show today, we have Ashley Matthew with Anytime Fitness, three locations in Ottawa. Ashley, what's going on? How are we? I'm fantastic. It might sound a little uh, nasally. I've been battling this weird cold last uh, week and a bit, but other than that, I'm fantastic. We appreciate you for for braving the storm and joining us nonetheless. Obviously, our our conversation is going to be geared around Anytime Fitness and, and your experience as a business owner here. I don't think we need to do a ton of work in explaining what Anytime Fitness is. I think it's mostly a household name, at least to people in our industry at this point. But before we get into the business conversation and and day-to-day and growth strategies and whatnot, I want to hear a little bit of the backstory of how you came to be in the seat that you're in now. Take us way, way back in in the, the depths of time to the moment that the idea kind of sparked in your brain I could own one of these things. What right. was going on for you? Um, so I'm 38, just to give you some context. But back, if we were, if we go back to about when I was 27, so we're looking at probably, t- yeah, about 11 years ago, I guess, simple math. But 
around 11 to 12 years ago, um, I quit my career in the, uh, we'll say Canadian federal, federal government. And I, long story short, uh, mentally wasn't in a great space and decided I needed to do something for me that can help other people. And so I quit my career at the drop of a hat and pretty much purposely lost everything and took about 10 steps backwards to go ahead and move back to my parents' basement for a year and just really focused on what can I do. I've been an athlete, competitive athlete since I was 11. And what I really love doing is helping people. So fast forward, I worked for a big box gym for about seven months, realized this is not the kind of structure I want. I know I could do a lot more. Uh, so myself and another Was trainer, it any time or just another brand? No, it was a big box. Well, it'll rename or nameless. And we won't. <laughs> we don't need <laughs> to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. That's fine. So uh, yeah, I left there uh, with a buddy of mine who was also working there into a studio space where there was five of us who were all independent trainers and we all ran our business together in the same space. And that was really fun because it helped me really evolve who I was, um, helped me go through a lot of kind of like depression and dark stuff at the same time. And also taught me that, you know, being a trainer is great, but once you go it on your own, you need to have a business mindset. And if you don't have a business mindset, you're just going to go down a dark rabbit hole and it's not going to be great. So I ended up meeting, which was my business partner at the time. Um, he was going through and ending his cancer treatment. And I said, you know what? I'll train you two to three times a week on me. You take me in as a mentor because he owned businesses and stuff. And I don't, I don't know how to do that. So um, he took me under his wing. I helped him out with uh, his post-cancer stuff. And we learned a lot about each other. And then, you know, after about a year, a year and a half of being in the studio, I said, you know, when I'm 50, I am not going to be on my knees helping someone do a plank. Like this is just not where I want to be. And so I said, you know what? I want to own a gym because if I own a gym, I can help that many more people. I can offer a safe space for people and a non-intimidating gym. Cause as a lot of us know, you go into a gym, it can be very intimidating for a lot of people. And, you know, work at that big box gym, I had some members that I would sit down with for like a PT consult. One of them sat in the parking lot for seven months, would not come in the front door. So she would get there, but she wouldn't be able to go in the door. Yeah. So I remembered a lot of these stories. And then, so I spoke with my business partner and then um, we were looking at a different franchise and then somehow we found any time was very random. And we purchased three territories and we said, you know what, screw it, let's go. So we started building them. Um, four years ago, unfortunately, he passed away. His cancer came back. Oh, wow. So that was another big learning curve. But uh, fast forwarding to kind of where I am now, um, one of the biggest things I've learned is when you're in business with a, for a gym specifically, even though like I would like to des- like design gyms with my own brain, with my own stuff that I love. You can't do that. Like <laughs> there's not kids. that many Ashley Matthews out there. It's no. we have, okay. I'll give you a, it's kind of a funny story. There's this ab equipment. I won't name the brand, but I hate it. Like the ergonomics of it are straight trash. I hate it, but I have to keep it in the gym because members for some reason love the thing. And if I take it out, they yell at me. 
So I've learned over time with certain pieces of equipment that doesn't matter if I like it or not, if the member base loves it, you leave it there. Yep. You know, so um, that's the other thing is just going off of what your clients need, not necessarily what you want. Yeah, there's no shortage of, of examples in our industry of gyms that were created more or less as a playground for the owner. And you can see if you, if you get the chance to look at their financials or you just talk to the owner, you, you know pretty quick yeah. that this is not a, a customer service oriented type situation. And it is what it is. There's, there's room in the market for it. So be it. So we, we pot three territories. We now have these three locations. Look back on, on that time just as a business owner with, with the hindsight that you have. What was the, what was, what's your favorite part about running gyms and what's been the toughest part for you about running gyms? Um, thought it's the most enjoyable is being, well, there's a few actually, like it's not just one thing, like offering a fun atmosphere for employees. So they look forward to coming to work. That's another big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what it's like not wanting to go into work. So whether it's a full-time position or part-time, I want everyone to come in and enjoy their time in the clubs. So that's a, that's a big one for me. Um, I think one of the challenges is really trying to navigate the emotions of members because especially the last two years, like we've seen people just dramatically change. Yeah. Emotionally. So it's the last two and I would say two and a half is really being calm and patient, but trying to dissect the emotion of the member before replying. And it's tough because now, you know, you have got people going through depression. They've got financial issues, especially now, um, you know, they have their own personal stuff going on, whatever that be. And unfortunately staff is sometimes the punching bag. And so as much as some people will snap back, you can't do that. And it's trying to navigate the emotions of the member, um, being able to be fair with them at the same time, um, fair for both parties. I think that's been the most challenging thing the last two and a half years is just honestly dealing with the emotions from some members, everything else. I mean, the day-to-day is kind of the same. Um, it's, it's not a huge struggle when the gyms grow. That's when obviously more work is involved because you've got more members coming in the door, more stuff breaks, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, the day-to-day for me is, is very seamless. I have my own routine. Like my employees have the routine. Um, the only inconsistency again is just making sure that our, our members are you know, taken care of and we treat them with respect, even if they're having a bad day. Yeah. I find that when I speak to people in, in the role that you're in, when they have more than one club, because if you're a, a, an owner of a gym and just one gym, you're probably there every day. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start to expand two, three, five, ten, 10, whatever the number is, that's not possible anymore. And so I, I bring this up in these interviews or these these conversations a lot because it's it reminds me of the Marriott Hotels sort of theory of where we, in the removed position that we're in, our customer, quote unquote, is now the staff, right? We need to take care of the staff so that the staff can take care of the end product user. It's not realistic for everybody that's upset to speak to you right? They're probably going to go to the front desk or to a GM or to whoever it happens to be. 
And so our, a lot of our energy and time needs to be poured into the staff so that they're equipped to respond as Ashley would, you know, mm. and it's a, it's a training that, that trickles down all the way. And I think you're absolutely right. And especially given the context of this being in Ottawa, you guys had some pretty strict restrictions for a long time that far be it removed from our conversation to involve politics, obviously outside of the, <laughs> the control of this conversation, but it is what it is. Yeah. It was, a, it was a tough environment to operate a business. Given all of that, how do, how do the numbers in your clubs look now compared to 2019 or, or early 2020? Right. Our, our numbers are great. And I think the other reason behind that is because during the pandemic, we were, because we have, there's like 20, I think we're at 23 clubs across the city right now. We were one of the biggest voices in the city for the fitness industry. I was one of them. And because we were for the members and we were for the public because we were huge on mental health and having, you know, having all of us close our doors across the city, no matter what gym you are, impacted these members in ways that I don't even think any politician really understood. I don't so, think we still will for decades no. or years to come at least. And it, it drove us yeah. crazy. So, you know, I was on the news throughout the pandemic. Um, a bunch of us were doing different um, kind of PR stuff. And I think that's what kind of put us ahead because one of the owners here, he's a multi-club owner as well. He decided, you know what, we're going to open up X amount of clubs across the city. And there was a loophole, flew right in it. So we had eight clubs across the city that were open for mental health with a doctor's note, separate key. Um, and we had our own process for that. He got hit with tickets, but they were all thrown out. And I think having that availability for anybody to go to one of these eight clubs to sign up for like a one month at a time membership for their mental health, there was so many thank yous. There was way more positive than there was negative. Cause don't get me wrong. There was some yeah, people sure that there was super pissed, <laughs> right? Um, Can't but make everybody we, happy. Yeah. And I mean, we did really well. And, you know, we also, when we did reopen, we made sure that we had plexiglass everywhere which is not a cheap fix, but like in between every yeah. single piece of cardio, taping the floor, wet wipes, Purell, like you name it. Like, and we were under the microscope here. When we opened, we had bylaw like sticking their heads in windows. It was unreal. But um, I think COVID really- but That's the nature of the beast. Right? Um, but yeah, COVID I think was actually a good thing for us, as weird as that may sound to some people. And a lot of us- found opportunities where some didn't because they were probably in a dark space. But yeah. um, I took COVID as an opportunity for a lot of things. Uh, a mentor of mine from years and years back used to use this phrase that chaos is a ladder. You know, when everybody else is scrambling, where can you find the opportunity to ascend in whatever you're trying to do? Um, and so for you guys, numbers look good. I want to I wanna get into the specifics of that because so many people at least on this podcast, listen just for different ideas of, of how to rebuild their membership post-COVID. From a from a marketing sense, what did you guys do after restrictions were lifted to be able to get some people back in? Was it reactivation of old members? Was it marketing and advertising attempt at new people? Tell us about that. 
Um, it was kind of a, a mixed bag, to be honest. So we obviously had a lot of our member base, <coughs> sorry, a lot of our member base came back. Um, we froze a lot of their memberships. And then when, you know, things got lifted, they came back, we sent them an email saying like, listen, gym's open on this day. Billing will resume on whenever it was. And then, so that reactivated a lot of the memberships. And then we also, one big thing that I do with my clubs specifically is I focus on community. And I think, and I just had a call the other day about this with a woman in Germany. And I think one of the biggest misses from a lot of business owners, specifically for gyms, is that they don't spend enough on marketing or specific style of marketing. Like for instance, my East End club, it's in a suburb. So we marketed uh, for the emotion aspect of it. And we share stories of actual members. We share stories of our one of our trainers, like G, he's got cerebral palsy. Um, he just ran a half marathon. So we did like an eight part series, but we're highlighting actual people that you may live right beside. Um, we highlight our own trainers. We try and make it so that it's a finger on the pulse in the community versus here's how to do a bicep curl with a picture, mm. like very lame yeah. stuff that honestly no one cares about. So no. we try and mix it up. It's the same thing like downtown, obviously it's more dense. So we're trying like a kind of a different marketing scheme. Actually, I actually have a meeting tomorrow with um, Apton who handles a lot of my uh, stuff, but I mean, every area is kind of different in terms of marketing. And so at the end of the day, we really focus on the community aspect and to make people know that we're real people, that we are independently owned. We're not a corporately run gym. You're not yeah. a dollar sign walking through the door. And that's been, that's been huge for us. Anytime as a brand nationally and internationally has slotted itself along that same sort of philosophy. Yep. You know, we have these, these big conglomerate commercial gyms. We have these micro gyms. Anytime is kind of in this nice middle ground to where the marketing strategy has to make sense for the product that we're offering, mm -hmm. right? What you say about highlighting individual people or trainers or whatever that looks like for, for tactics here, is that mostly driven through social? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, yeah, we do a lot of Instagram. We don't spend too much money on Facebook because right now it's just, it's too expensive cost per click. Like the rates have gone up dramatically. Uh, we've actually spun into Google um, and Google's done amazing yeah. for us for leads. That's yeah. a, that's been a, a nice adjustment for us. Um, we actually just started last Friday, uh, new leads for the clubs and we've seen an increase in just uh, people clicking on it and wanting to come in and check out the club or take advantage of the free training session uh, I think that's another big thing for business owners is you might not have to completely understand how to do like a, a social media ad or how to spend money. Like you don't need to know how to do that, but at least learn a little bit about it, read about it, the pros and cons of it. So, you know, if you're hiring a company, you don't piss a bunch of money away, you know where you should put your money. Like if anyone came to me and oh said, we're going to put this much money on Facebook ads, I'd be like, the hell you are. That's a waste of my money. And if you are a small business, you really need to pay attention where you're putting your money, right? And your ROI. It's, yeah, the old adage, we can't afford to market and we can't afford not to market. Right. It happens. I think I, I want to expand your sentiment there a moment ago to all functions in a business. You're the owner or the leader or whatever the title is 
you should at least have a working knowledge of the different things that happen under the roof because of exactly what you said. I don't want to be the one filing our taxes, but if I have a conversation with our CPA, I don't understand a word that they're saying. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of theirs. If I'm talking to a marketing agency and they're saying, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and you know that it doesn't make sense given your clubs and your market, I can at least participate in that conversation. You would be blown away at the amount of times that I hear on this podcast, we don't advertise because I don't like social media. I don't that care. That's not the question that I asked you. <laughs> I don't care. It's not the same. But I think there's a difference. And, and I think it's a, I can't remember the author of the book, but it's, it's a turning pro type analogy. It's the difference between somebody who treats it as a business and somebody who treats it as a gym. Right. You know, the people that understand what I'm saying truly understand there's a huge difference. You know, big time. It is what it is. At the end of the day, for you guys, and, and I wanna I wanna save some time to highlight this. Anytime again as a brand has shifted its focus, of course, I mean EFT revenue is is a main driver here, but a lot of the focus has then turned to become coaching services, training, nutrition, group training, whatever that takes the shape of. You mentioned the free session that that comes with signups, is that where we sort of funnel a lot of people into those services or, or what else do you guys do to get the conversation started about what else is available? Right. So one of the things we do with anyone that signs up on a 12 month or a six month is we always throw in a 50 minute um, assessment. So, and if it's someone who's super advanced, we're just like, hey, man, if you want help on your deadlift, your squat, your bench, like a more advanced technical lift, we can send a trainer with you to make sure that, you know, you're doing it properly. You're not going to injure yourself, but also some tips to maybe help you break through a plateau. So we don't just structure it as an assessment. And I also think that the word assessment has been completely butchered in our industry because there used to be like, oh, it's a sales pitch. So we hate calling it an assessment. So we'll just call it a training session. And then- some people right away are like, no, I don't want it. And then we have to be like, hey, we're not trying to sell you 144 sessions for the year. We just want to make sure that you're safe when you're here. So you continue to use your membership instead of hurting yourself in week one. And then we don't see it for six months. So that's been a big thing because they trust us. So when they come mm-hmm. in, they see that we're not hardcore sales and that we legitimately just want to help. And even if they don't buy right there after their assessment, over time, we see them kind of creeping back, talking with the trainer, and then signing up for packages. And I think the hardcore sales aspect from the industry in itself has really deterred people from wanting a trainer. Um, yeah. So we've tried to curb that. And again, my clubs are run pretty much based, I wouldn't say based on ethics, but like, there's just a lot of stuff that bothered me in the big boxes. Morals. That like, yeah. Yes. And I'm like, man, I can't tell this person to go take a loan out to afford her personal training sessions. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think I can't. And sorry if anyone's listening makes people do that, but I personally just can't. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's, that's the fun of entrepreneurship is that at the end of the day, you make the rules for the business that you're running at least. But I, I find that in sales theory, 
a lot of the practices in place are based on really butchered research from the 90s and the way that people buy now is completely different than the way that people buy then but the, the practice and the activity hasn't caught up to match that i i boil it down to one simple thought and it's just that most people can smell bs from a mile away totally it's it, <laughs> there's not a lot that we're gonna do with the average consumer to to overcome and to gimmick somebody into buying and even if we do you sell them 12 sessions and then we never see them again that doesn't really help anybody either right it's a you you approach it as a longer term value transaction which yeah. has has played in your favor it sounds like now i want to explore because we've talked about how you got started we talked a little bit about what things look like today i want to explore where all of this is going in your mind we have three do we pick up additional clubs are we digging into to grow the three that we have what's the future of all of this look like in your mind um i mean i can always say that i have ideas of maybe picking up another one in the states because that is an idea for me um mainly florida kind of looked around there but who knows, like Stealth, my fitness equipment manufacturing company, um, that's taking a lot of my time right now. So, you know, in a year from now, Stealth might be my focal point. And I just have the three clubs. You know what? Maybe there comes a point where I'm like, you know what? Let's do another one, which can also help one of my existing employees because they would be bumped up. So, and that's the other thing I look at too, when I am growing companies or businesses, I really look at the people that are helping me grow and that's my employees. And I think that's a big miss for a lot of business owners is they don't, they don't value their employees. I'm just gonna be blunt. They just kind of look at them as a number and replaceable. And you know what, if you have people that are working for you that they come in every day and they work hard, pay them. If you can pay them, pay them, take care of them. You know, I pay for my trainers to go every year to get CEC. So I pay for their certifications. That helps me. It helps them and it helps the client at the same time. And so for me, if going into a fourth or fifth club, I know that that's going to help whoever I have now and then help more people as I go forward. Um, but for now, I, I don't know. I, I, next year I could pick up another one. Maybe I'll be done at three. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. We will have a conversation in a year, and suddenly I fell into ten, and I just yeah. couldn't say no. Well, to be determined is yep. is the answer, I suppose. Ashley, that's a great place for us to to begin to wrap up. But I want to save a minute here for you to tell people where they could learn more about your clubs or you or what you're working on. What are the websites? What are the social media links? How can people connect? For sure. Uh, you go to ashleymatthew.com. That's my uh, domain for my online program. Um, I have a Beacons link as well. You can find me literally all over the place just by my name, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, Twitter. I talk a lot about sports on Twitter though. Um, it's my it's my fun time on Twitter. Yeah, but... Chicago just dusted senators last night and I was not very happy about that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of everywhere. I have a Beacons link as well. If you go to my Instagram, you click on the Beacons link and then it'll have everything as a drop down there for you. Tremendous. Ashley, this is, it's really been a bunch of fun to, to pick your brain and, and have you share kind of thoughts and perspectives on 
your ownership and, and where the industry is going in general. So I appreciate you coming on. I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you forward. so much. Absolutely. To everyone who tuned in, thank you as well. Don't forget, if you'd like to be notified about future episodes, hit like and subscribe. If you're interested in joining us to talk about your business, click the link in the description, fill it out. Our team will be in touch soon. And as always, until next time, Jim Lawrence out. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, here's four ways we can help you grow your gym for free. One, grab a free copy of Alex Ramosi's best-selling book, Gym Launch Secrets at alexsbook.com. Two, join our free Facebook group at alexsgroup.com. Three, if you're a gym owner, you can apply to be on the podcast by emailing us at podcast at gymlaunch.com. Four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more gym owners and bring those lessons back to you. And as always, tap that button and subscribe to this podcast for more.